Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School Hour for March 19th of 2023. And I uh, hope you have enjoyed your spring break and uh, that life is going well for you and that the Lord is blessing you. And it's an honor and a joy to be with you. And I appreciate those of you who are watching this because you're getting ready to teach a class. And I pray the Lord blesses you and your class as you go through this. And it's helpful and beneficial that we grow in the Lord and uh, learn how to apply His Word to our lives. And for those of you who are watching because you weren't able to make Sunday school, I'm glad you're doing that, glad you're keeping up. And I pray for you and pray that the day will come when you will be able to be back involved in your class and fellowshipping with everybody. Now, we're talking about control here. Uh, I think sometimes, and, and I'll blame preachers and teachers for this, I think sometimes we talk about wanting to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, and we all certainly want that, don't we? And we forget that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where the fruit of the Spirit is mentioned, and I say fruit singular because that's what the Bible says, but there are nine aspects of that fruit. We're, we all know the love, joy, peace, but have you ever noticed that self-control is also a part of the fruit of the Spirit. We are supposed to control ourselves. And we're supposed to do that, of course, with spiritual power, not fleshly power. And uh, we're to do that in a pure way and with a pure motive, not to be dishonest, not to cover things up or anything like that. But self-control is part of that. And yet so few people ever really exercise self-control. There are so many times when you hear somebody say, well, I did this, but I, I shouldn't have, and I wish I hadn't, and I regret that, or I knew I was making a mistake when I did that. I had somebody tell me uh, one time uh, when I was counseling them that uh, they, they said when their father was walking them down the aisle at their wedding, they knew that they were making a mistake. You know, well, that's just kind of dumb to do something like that and to walk into something like that with your eyes wide open. But we don't control ourselves very well. We're more concerned about what other people think, how we're going to appear, whether it's going to be embarrassing or not. And uh, that's something that we've got to get over. And we've got to prevent some of these kind of things from happening, the words that are blurted out of our mouth because we didn't stop and think and sin that we fall into uh, you know, on Sunday mornings, we've kind of been looking at David's life. And uh, to kind of get the picture that when he went up on the roof of his palace, he wasn't going up there for nefarious reasons, as far as we know, because it's never mentioned and that's never addressed. But then the temptation came and he didn't even stop and think or control himself or anything like that at all. Okay, so remember, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. So let's see if we can look at what Solomon has to say to help us a little bit with that because we could all do better with that. And we're looking at Ecclesiastes 7 and we're looking at verses 8 through 10. Now, um, consider this before we read. Our measure of control during trials is determined by these truths in our text. Okay, let's, let's think about how hard it is to control yourself anyway but really whenever you are under pressure, under stress of the moment, 
trials that come in our way. Okay? We will either be the victim of our circumstances or a victor over them. And, and we want to focus on being a victor over those things. We don't need any more trouble. We don't need any more broken relationships. We don't need any more regrets. Would you agree with that? So let's read the text. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 through 10. Okay, you've probably heard these things before. Let's make sure we understand uh, what the point is in them. Verse 8, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. I think we can all say amen to that. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. How many foolish things are done? Well, okay, just go sometime to a penitentiary, and if you were able to go in and walk around, you know what you would find? A ton of innocent people that are in there. I mean, that's just the way it is. And uh, at least that's what they're going to tell you. And you also are going to find that some of the ones who tell you they're guilty, they're going to say, yeah, but that wasn't really me. I don't know why I did that. That wasn't me. And a lot of times there's anger at the bottom of it. They just lost all self-control. And that happens with, you know, road rage and all kinds of things. Uh, neighborhood squabbles. Sometimes husbands and wives do this. We blurt out things that we shouldn't. Uh, anger rests in the bosom of fools. You don't want to be an angry person. Uh, let's go ahead and read verse 10. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. That's interesting, isn't it? And yet we find that we do that so much. Oh, the good old days. Oh, wasn't it better back then? Well, it may have been. It may not have been either. I think sometimes we have a tendency to... Um, romanticize some of the old days. I, I kind of like indoor plumbing. I like air conditioning and I like central heat and I like the way cars run and work now and, and those kind of things. I like having a variety of food. I don't like eating the same thing over and over and my parents talk about in the depression eating the same thing over and over and over having to go to an outhouse and burning up or freezing and you know I, I don't know it doesn't sound real great. However I'm sure there were aspects of that, the simplicity of life, maybe some of the moral character that people had that would have been good. And I would agree we could use a little more of that now. But at the same time, it doesn't do a whole lot of good, does it? To sit around and think and reminisce. And there's something else that I want to talk about when we actually get to explaining that point that uh, for those of us who are older, something we need to be very, very careful about as to what we're doing to the next generation. Well, enough of that. Let's think about this. Number one, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And that's found in the first part of uh, verse 8. Now, why would he say something like that? Okay, consider this. Nothing is ever as bad as it seems. Panic makes them seem worse. And I guess uh, maybe the word nothing might be a little bit too strong, but uh, I think for most of it, it's true. Most of us, it's true that, um, you know, and maybe we need to make an exception that most things are almost nothing. Maybe that'd be a better way to put it, is ever as bad as it seems. But it is true 100% of the time, 
Panic makes it seem worse. That's why um, you can uh, watch medical personnel, uh, like an ambulance when they show up. One of the things they try to do is relax the patient and uh, get them to calm down and to get them to focus a little bit or get them some, you know, a little bit of pain control or something like that because the panicky part is really a problem. My mom had a little dog and the little dog liked me and uh, we got along really, really well until uh, my friend was backing out of our driveway and the dog got run over. And uh, I went down to pick up the dog and the dog bit me. Why'd the dog bite me? Because she was scared, she was panicky, she was hurting, you know, she survived by the way, but, um, and never bit me again after that. But she never would have done that under normal circumstances. And I think there are times when you and I, we have, you know, panic sets in, we're afraid of something, we do something rashly. Uh, my dad was in the emergency room not long before he died and uh, he's hooked up to all kinds of stuff and he's restless and he's a little upset that he's there and uh, they told him he needed to lay down and they said he couldn't get up because of all the things he was hooked up to at that point well he kept getting up and trying to scoot off of the little thing that he was on and uh, i'd have to go up there and say dad you can't do that why not because you're hooked up to all of this stuff and you don't want it uh, you know coming out or anything like that okay and then he would lay back and then he would set up again and he would start to move dad you can't do that why not because you're hooked up to all of that and I remember one time he sat up and he said I just feel like I need to do something even if it's wrong have you ever felt like that I don't know what to do and I know what I ought not do but I've got to do something you can't just sit here you you can't just do nothing and that thing of waiting on the Lord is one of the most difficult things to do even when things are good, but when things are bad, it's really hard just to wait, isn't it? And so uh, panic makes things seem worse. Now, one of the hallmarks that we uh, have as a church is we camp on the sovereignty of God. And it's easy to say amen to that when you're sitting in church and everything's going groovy, but uh, whenever things are really kind of going bad or things are weird or you don't understand them, it's hard to rest in all of that because we can't understand it. But regardless of what we're going through, God's sovereignty is still in operation and God is lovingly training and or correcting you in these situations. They're not just random things that come your way. God controls them. So Romans 8.28, listen to this very carefully. Romans 8.28 is always true, but it takes time for us to see it. It takes time for us to see it. Now how many times have you been through something that at the time you thought it was the worst thing ever, but you look back on it now and you say, I can see the hand of God. I can see the goodness of God. I can see how God was working in that situation. Well, you couldn't see that at the time and your panic blinded you to it, but now you can. So the end of a thing is better than its beginning because you have a different and a better perspective on all of it. Okay? So that brings us to number two. 
Patience is better than pride. Okay? And uh, you're thinking now, wow, where does this guy get all of this wisdom? Nobody's ever known that before. Ha ha. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? And, and so I'm just being Captain Obvious on this thing. And that point is right out of the scripture because it says, it, it, it reminds us that pride reacts emotionally, doesn't it? But patience responds applying biblical principles. And that's in the last part of verse 8. When you think about the way that we act on things, I, I'm not a patient person, and most of you are not either. It's not normal to be patient. In fact, uh, patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit as well. In other words, when you find somebody that really is patient, that's because they've been taught to be patient. There are very few people that are just kind of bent that way. Some are maybe, okay, let's qualify it, more patient than others, okay? And you may say, well, I know a guy, boy, he's really patient. I promise you he's got his limits. I promise you. And uh, this is something that we all kind of have to learn and we all could be more patient. Pride reacts emotionally. How dare you? I don't deserve that. I'm not going to be treated like this. You're not going to get away with that. I'll make sure you pay for that. All of those kind of things that, that come out of us and they come out instinctively. But patience, to really think about what we need to do, the biblical principles, all of those things that we know and in the moment, we don't apply, but later we say, well, I probably should have waited. I probably shouldn't have said that. I probably should have done this. I probably shouldn't have done that. That's what patience, it gives us the ability in the moment to do what we would see maybe 10 years later or a month later or whenever it might be or just after we calm down, okay? And so uh, pride gets offended and patience endures. Sometimes patience is put with uh, long-suffering, especially in the original language in the New Testament. I, I believe it's macrothumia, and it's the idea that we, do, we don't just fly off of the handle, but we are steady and we're under control. It kind of goes right in hand with self-control, doesn't it? So patience endures and tolerates pressure, but pride is impetuous, and that's defined as acting or done quickly and without thought or care. You ever done that? I have tons and tons of times. And really when we act impatiently or impetuously in a situation, that means we're questioning God's authority, we're questioning His purpose, and sometimes, sadly, we even question His love. Even though He has told us and assured us He loves us unconditionally with a everlasting love and that love was demonstrated on the cross when Christ died for us that settles the issue but we get emotional and then our emotions are kind of all messed up here and in pride we decide to do it uh, our way I'm going to do it my way and uh, that's that's what makes me happy and patience is learned through trials we don't like trials and therefore, we don't really learn patience, do we? We don't like to go through stuff that kind of, you know, messes us up and, and throws us off of our game or what we really understand. 
And uh, then we pray for patience. And the Bible says that tribulation, and that word is pressure in the original language, stress, that works patience. It's something that you have to learn and you have to go through. So um, patience is long-suffering. Patience waits in faith. And it continues to serve God and others during the trial. Now, how many times have you seen people that they say, Oh, I'm in a trial. I'm going through something right now. And I just can't be involved with anybody else. I've got enough to do messing with myself. Now, uh, there are those times, I'll, I'll grant you, that you need to just set back and heal. But I think most of the time when we're in a trial, we need to continue on serving the Lord, serving other people, ministering to other people because it's therapeutic. There are those times when you're going through an agonizing thing that you can't get it off of your mind. Your brain won't shut down. But there is one thing you can do. When you start helping somebody else for just a little while, <clears throat> you're able to rest your brain because you've got your attention put on somebody else. I can't tell you how many times when going through uh, some type of a trial, and some of you who've been here a long time, you know some of those, you um, think about preaching a sermon and your first reaction is, I don't know how I can ever preach. And people even tell you, I don't know how you do this kind of thing. You know, sometimes it's therapeutic. Because at least for a little while, I get to take my mind off of what's troubling me, what's bothering me, what is uh, scaring me, all of those kind of things. And I can put it on something that is steady and sure. And I can think about somebody other than what I'm going through or myself. And it's a good thing to do that. And the same thing is true. I've heard people year after year after year in my ministry talk about going to visit somebody saying, well, I felt obligated to go. I didn't really want to go. But after I did, I realized instead of blessing them, they blessed me. I mean, how many times have you heard that? It's the principle of give and it'll be given unto you. And so we've uh, got to remember that. And so we continue to serve God and to serve others even during the trial when everything and everyone else is saying quit, we just don't. We're patient in all of that because you can't just shut off everything. You've got to still live and you've got to still function. And maybe a parent, maybe you know this um, from practical experience, let's say that you uh, have had a death in your family or maybe you're going through a divorce or something like that. And what keeps you going on that? And you say, well, I've got these three kids. They've got to get up. They've got to eat. They've got to be dressed. They've got to go to school. They've got to go to soccer or baseball practice. We've got all of these things we have to do. And you look back on all of that now and say, man, how did I do all of that? And it was because you just had to. You just had to. How did uh, those men on D-Day in World War II, how did they jump off of those landing crafts at Omaha Beach into machine gun fire. How'd they do that? Because they just had to. It was their duty to do that kind of thing. They were trained and conditioned for all of that. And uh, we admire them and call them heroes for that. Well, be a hero in your everyday life and do what you need to do. Don't just quit and give up. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. Okay? The idea of completion and maturity comes through all of this and that's why the Bible tells us 
to go back ahead of the verse I just paraphrased, count it all joy, my beloved brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. Okay, and let patience have her perfect work that you may be complete. Yeah, that's, that's what the program is, and the Lord knows what you need. And so he tailor designs these things and allows these things, even when they're in the form of an attack, so that you might grow and that you might be complete and entire. So don't let that be short-circuited and look back on your life with a bunch of regrets because you just kind of unplugged or quit, okay? Um, number three, do not be quickly provoked. Do not be quickly provoked. Well, shouldn't we say don't be provoked? I don't think so. I think there are times when we ought to be provoked. I think there's a time, as we saw, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> there's a time for anger. Even the Apostle Paul said, be angry and sin not. And then he says, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. There's a time for anger, but it, it, it's a limited time and it's more specifically a righteous indignation. Things ought to bother us. It ought, it ought to bother us and make us angry that babies are killed in their mother's womb. That's a horrible situation to just go, oh, oh well, whatever, if something happens and you get pregnant, we'll just get an abortion. That's horrible that we think like that. And we could you know, list a ton of other things that, 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 that ought to bother us. It's just that we shouldn't be quickly provoked. And far too often, what happens, we get ticked off about something in, at a moment's notice and we do some things that we regret or we do something that's destructive or we say something that we can't take back and the other person can't forget or we text something or post something on social media, those kind of things, and then now, now our goose is kind of cooked. And so don't be quickly provoked. Now, being quickly provoked reveals that you are self-centered. That's the reason that it happened so fast and you couldn't control it. You were offended. You were hurt. You were whatever. And uh, that's, that's a problem. You were thinking about yourself. And demons take advantage of this. And you know that uh, you don't deserve this kind of treatment. And they remind you of that. You're better than this. You're above this. After all you've done for the, you know, that kind of stuff. Things that we ought to lay at the foot of the cross and give glory to God for. We think it makes us deserve something. How can this possibly be good? You ever ask that question? I had something uh, not terribly long ago that uh, the way it hit me, it just really bugged me. And then I thought uh, the Holy Spirit reminded me of Romans 8, 28. And I uh, thought about that and I said, Okay, Lord, how can this possibly be good? How in the world? And I still don't know. Still don't know. But I'm confident one day um, I'll figure it out because he'll reveal it to me. But it may take a while because the end of a thing is better than the beginning. Remember what we said uh, at the, in that first point. And uh, that's where you have to go by faith. To know that uh, Romans 8.29 ties right in with Romans 8.28, that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. 
And so whatever that thing happened, maybe I don't see any earthly good in it except for the fact that it's making me more like Christ because if I learn from it, then it turns out to be a, a good thing. But the enemy will certainly point out everything that they can and, and try to get us off track in our walk with God. And so we question those kind of things and we really shouldn't because God told us it is. That ought to settle the issue and uh, one of these days I'll learn that. Um, sometimes we feel like we can change the situation. We can make it better. At least I'll feel better. You know, I had someone say that to me one time. Well, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but at least I'll feel better. Well, they didn't. Um, we have this illusion that we can change things by lashing out, don't we? I deserve this. I shouldn't have to put up. I've just got to vent, we say. And the book of Proverbs says that uh, if you have to vent, that's a foolish thing. That's a foolish thing. And uh, we don't believe that. We believe modern psychology more than we believe the Word of God. So uh, let that convict you and change you. God and people have failed you. You know, we feel like that sometimes. God let me down. People I counted on let me down. Well, people are always going to let you down. And by the way, you know, that's where we ought to get off of our high horse because we fail others too. Now, we can see their failure toward us, but we don't always see where we have failed to love them, to serve them, to minister to them. I mean, that, that, that finger could be pointed at each one of us. And so we've got to be careful about these things. Now, think about this. To quit withdraw or lash out solves nothing and prolongs chastisement. So if you're going through this because God is correcting a sin problem in your life and you just lash out and let everybody have it and isolate yourself and all of that, you probably just prolonged everything. Kind of like the children of Israel. They're in the wilderness and really the promised land was not that horribly far away from where they were in Egypt and Sinai. They could have been there in a short period of time, but they ended up, well, it took them 40 years. Why? Because they just wouldn't believe God. And that really is, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's the bottom line for everything. Are we going to believe God or not? And uh, there was a song that, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it, in the chorus it said, so take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson. And, you know, I think that's what happens. We are just taking another lap around. You didn't get it this time. Take another lap and then this next time maybe you'll get it. We prolong the chastisement and the problems that we're in. And that's not very smart when you think about it. Number four, do not look back longingly. That's in verse 10. Oh, my goodness. You know, I look back and um, I think about when I was in my 20s. Man, that was the 80s were a great decade for me. And I started my ministry in 1980 uh, doing youth work. And uh, Sammy and I got married in 1984. Uh, all of my kids but one were born in the 80s. And I think about, you know, understanding things. I understood a little bit more about the culture. I understood what was going on politically. I understood what was going on with fashion. I understood, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I liked TV and there were different movies that I liked. Some of them not so much, but you know what I mean. 
I could at least relate to all of those kind of things. Boy, wasn't that great? And it was so much better then. And, uh, oh, we didn't have all of this kind of stuff that's going on now. Oh, wasn't it great? You know what Solomon just told me? I just wasted my time because I can't go back to that. We can't recreate that. And it's never been the will of God for us to just preserve a certain period of time. We're made for the time in which we live. And even as a church, we don't want to just preserve uh, everything from the 1500s. Some churches, it's, you know, like everything could just be taken right back to the 1500s and, uh, you know, everything would be fine except the language might need to change. Maybe you put it in Latin or German or something like that. But we're never really called to do that. We are called to live in the nasty now. We're called to be salt and light now. We're called to be involved in everything we're doing now, not, not back then. Now, learn from history. Now, you know me well enough to know I love history, and we certainly should learn it, and it is true that if we don't learn from it, we're destined to repeat it, but not to try to relive it and not to try to long for it and not to live in a fantasy world and all of that. Solomon says, stop that. You're not doing anybody any good. So don't romanticize the past. Now, Lot's wife is an example of that. Lot, his daughters and his wife, they're going out of Sodom because it's going to be destroyed, and she looks back. And I think the idea is looking back longingly and, oh, look what I had back then. You know, some of that stuff you did way back in the day that was so much fun was sinful. It was stupid. It was unwise. And uh, had you gotten caught or had you paid the full price for all of that, you would still have some scars on it. We don't want to do like that and just romanticize everything. And it, we don't want to show a spirit of discontentedness. Boy, if I could have lived back in a previous generation, uh, how great would it be? Well, why do you think God has you living now, for example? And we kind of give people the idea, especially younger people, well, God was good then, but not today. God was sovereign then, but not today. I know we would never say that, but that's almost what we are conveying to other people. Boy, it's too bad you had to be born now. That stinks. Man, if you could have been born back when I was, oh boy, those were really great, but you know, your generation is horrible. And by the way, that's what your parents and your grandparents said about your generation as well. That's been going on for a long, 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 long time, hasn't it? And so uh, we kind of act like God messed up today. God uh, was doing it right 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, but he's sure not getting it right today. Now this is going to stagnate your spiritual progress. God says in the worst of times you can grow and you can be effective. Think about Joseph. Think about Daniel. Think about those uh, people like that. And it damages your testimony. It weakens your disciple-making ability. And it causes you to look behind instead of pressing on. And somebody said that's why the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. You're supposed to be looking ahead and glancing back. But look ahead. Be thankful for the past. Learn from the past. And appreciate all of that, but you're, you're here now and you've got to be 
looking ahead. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul said, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see? And so what are we really telling the people that are coming up behind us? Hopeless, this generation, your generation, just hopeless, no good, worthless, there's no point in even trying. No wonder they're so suicidal. They're not getting a good message even from Christian people. There's hope in Christ. There's a future in Christ. You're learning and growing every day. There's a reason for everything that you go through and it's going to make you stronger and it's working together for good and all of those kind of things. That's what they should be hearing. They should be hearing God is good today. This is a great time for us to be alive and a great time for us to witness. You say, how can that be? Everything is so dark and so confusing. Yeah, what a great time to shine light. What a great time to tell the truth. We've been chosen for all of this. The Apostle Paul wasn't chosen to be alive now, but you and I are. So let's make the most of it and let's not destroy the optimism of youth. You remember what it was like when you were in your teens and 20s and you were so optimistic about things and then somebody would come along and say, well, that can't be done and it's not as good as it used to be and all of that kind of thing. Well, don't do that to someone else either. Our young people need to be encouraged. So conclusion, how you respond to stress or pressure reveals who you really are, and where your faith is weak. That's why it happens. And a wise person listens to people with experience. Fools try to make it on their own instincts. In other words, they don't learn from people with experience. So it goes both ways. Young and old, old and young, we're to work together. Learn from the Word what to do when under pressure... And watch mature believers going through trials and see how to apply the word. Hang around them. See what they do. See what phrases they use. See what kind of philosophy that they have on things if they're godly. And you can learn from that. We don't want you to be a fake. We want you to be changed. Now, warning. If they are not responding biblically, do not follow them. Rather, you can watch them and learn how not to respond. You know, sometimes you can learn as much from the negative as you can the positive. But God's got a better way. God's got a better way than just simply following the crowd and going through all of this kind of stuff and muddling through uh, all of that. Uh, that song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, the way that it was first written is flat depressing. But until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow, you know. And I believe it was Frank Sinatra or somebody like that that was going to sing it. And he uh, asked the question, can't you jolly it up a little? And as I think about that, I think about how the way, uh, I think about the way a lot of Christians live. And I would say this, can't you jolly up your life a little bit? Uh, you need the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. And uh, we need to be optimistic. Those of us who are Calvinists ought to be the most optimistic about life because God is in control. 
filter that into everything that you see and think about control and think about these four things that we talked about in this lesson. It's a life-changing, very practical thing. May God grant that we can put it to work in our life. Thank you for tuning in and watching and may the Lord bless you and may the Lord bless your class as you teach this to them on Sunday. We'll see you next week. God bless.